0: Last several weeks, you and I have been traveling through the, the book of Genesis, uh, namely through the life of Joseph, and there have been different themes that uh, each of uh, Pastor Travis and others have um, honed in on for, for your instruction, for my, for my encouragement, for things to think about, dwell on, contemplate, maybe meditate, and ask God, okay, Lord, how would you like me to um, apply um, this principle in my life, and what can I What what should I do? Where should I go? And so Joseph uh, is a reminder for many of us that that he's a God-fearing man. He is a man who believes in the covenant-keeping God of the Old Testament. His um, grandfather, Abraham, has gone before him, has been taught to him. And so he knows the promises are for him and his kindred and his family to the generations that go beyond And so Joseph is a a man that we should be like in the fact that we should honor God. We should be a God-fearing woman, a God-fearing man that loves the Lord and keeps his covenant close to us. We also find that um, God is also working in Joseph's life through a very dark period of time. And each one of us will go through different um, times of suffering, times of darkness, times of pain, times of, of, of mistreatment. And so Joseph reminds us that he can trust in the Lord as a sustainer of his life during those difficult periods of time. And so, when you face uncertainty today, when you face uncertainty this week, when a bad report comes, when you experience mistreatment or harm from another, you can have the sure assurance that God is with you and God has sent you for this time period to experience his blessing in your life. Joseph, as we look at it, is age 17 when he leaves his homeland. He is sent into slavery um, by the hands of his own brothers, his own blood, his own kindred, his own flesh. Now, we know that when we look at Joseph's family, Joseph's family is, you know, is fractured in many ways. It's a a family like you and I. And so, when we look at the patriarchs, the families of Genesis. We are looking at real life stories, stories that you and I can um, look at and say, "Wow, th- that's me right there," or "That's my experience," or "That's my suffering." That's that's a conversation we had not too long ago, and you know, that's my relationship with my brother or my sister. And so, when we look at the the, the families unfolding for us, we're like, "Well, how can God be in the center of the story?" of Genesis, and yet he is. And Joseph reveals that to us in due season here, and I hope that you walk away feeling blessed because you heard from the Lord, and the Lord will speak and comfort you um, this uh, morning. And so 22 years have passed now. Brothers have come uh, into Egypt because of the famine. The famine had reached the far places of, of the region, and so the only place that they could go that they heard good report of food, was Egypt. Go to Egypt and go down into Egypt to gather. And so this was the instruction of Joseph's father to the to the boys, his brothers. And they were sitting around um, like, what should we do? We're going to die here. And Jacob was like, you know, God. God is the God of the covenant-keeping promises of old. And surely he will continue to provide for our needs. So go into Egypt, buy some grain, bring it back so that we may have Life and we may sustain life over these next months until the Lord has relented from this famine and brought blessing back into the land. It's interesting when you look at famine and when you look at the the distress that the um, brothers are going through and Jacob himself, it's a picture of Joseph's life as well, where he had been at. He's been in a state of slavery, a pit, that's where his first... um, um, state of his trial. I mean, just the mistreatment of his brothers. We learned earlier in chapter 37 that that Joseph brought a bad report back to his, his father about his brother. We're not sure exactly what that report was, but you can maybe imagine right now that it wasn't a good report. It was maybe, you know, dad, my, you know, Reuben did this, you know, Simeon did this. And the, the accusations began to fly. And, and so this began that great hatred in the family. And then Jacob gives a coat of many colors to his son. And that showed favoritism. But in line with the covenant, that the covenant is what keeps this story lying together for you and I to see that God is the God of the blessing. God is the God who blesses and multiplies his seed on the earth. And he raises up leaders and he brings leaders um, to a close in their time. So Joseph is now 22 years older. At age 17, he leaves home. He is sold into slavery, and he's mistreated. And therein lies the story as we begin to unfold. He has now come from the, the, the soul's story of tragedy and now is in a place of power and prestige. And when you are in a, uh, a state of power and prestige, you can still be lonely in many ways. And this is where we enter the story of chapter 45. Look at verse 1. And Joseph could not control himself any longer. Those who stood by him, and he cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. And Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brother, I And Joseph, is my father still alive? He's now married. He's ruling. He's a father. He's a leader. He is a prince. He's an interpreter of dreams. And in this story, chapter 45, we see him longing for his dad. It's a deep emotional account. Many commentators comment that it is a, is a deep family reunion that ties the story together. A fractured family, a, a, a leader, a leader of all the leaders in Egypt has come from slavery, uh, come from foreignness, and now is, is ruling over a Gentile people. And, and much blessing and reward has come to even the Gentile people because of this Jewish man, Joseph, because he has followed God and obeyed the word God of the Lord. But even despite of his fame and riches and glory and prestige as he is now ruling over Egypt, he still is feeling that isolation. He's married. He has children. He has a wife and yet he's still feeling isolated and 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 distant, longing to be reconnected back with his family, namely his his dad. What a special bond. What a special affection that he has for his father, and what about you? Twenty-two years have gone by. Now it may not be for you. Twenty-two years. It, it, it may be right now that you you have been distant from your family, your mother, or father, maybe a brother or sister, and you haven't talked for years. You haven't talked for months, and and Thanksgiving just has gone by, and and you were you were nervous. You were. Distraught in your own mind, like, I can't even speak. They, they've hurt me. They've wronged me. How can I even speak truth to them? How can I even say anything to them? And yet you're thrust into a holiday season where you're having to relive those 22 years of, of heartache and pain and suffering and mistreatment. And you're there. That's where Joseph is at. And so God has sent him into a time of isolation so that God would raise up a leader of leaders to lead a many many people to safety many many people to blessing and 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 so in this period of isolation in verses 1 through 4 we we see the emotional side of Joseph he cries he's in pain he make everyone go out here the the emotion is is risen up so much that he can't control himself and you would be there at that point if you, for the very first time, have seen your brothers after 22 years. The emotion comes to the brim and all that he has felt in the past. So you say, well, how has he felt? I think and I believe the psalmist is very clear. And if you would scoot over to Psalm 105, because you see it firsthand, what the psalmist sees in Joseph and the plight and the experience that he was going through is true, very true here in, as he recounts the story of Genesis um, for us. In verse 17, um, the psalmist says this, and when he summoned, verse 16, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, verse 17, he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. There's not much freedom being a slave, friends. You're sold as a slave you're, in many ways, a product. Someone purchases you, and now you're owned by that purchaser, and you have no freedom. This is what the text says. And, and, and Joseph was sold as a slave. Notice the condition of his slavery. He, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. And Some of us, some of our brothers and sisters even in this room, May have had that experience in their own life of iron and being chained. And we have a history of our nation that has gone through that. But, but the, the period of isolation for Joseph right here was, was a school training ground for, for God to work even in his loneliness, even in this, this period of time, so that God might raise up a leader to bring about much blessing on the earth and even in his own family to bring about restoration. So that's where we're moving here, that that the state of loneliness for, for Joseph is real. And this emotional outburst in verse 1 through 2 and, and later on, verse th- 3 and 4, we, we begin to like, wow, Joseph, you are a real person. I hope you saw it weeks ago in, in the in the chapters before this, that he's a real person going through real heartache, real pain, real suffering. And yet, even in the suffering, even in the pain, God raises him up and God blesses his hand and God will do the same even in your life. He has promised to do so. And part of our obedience is faith. Part of our obedience is trust and going through those times of of loneliness and isolation. Now, this is what he says. Um, Henry Morris, in his commentary, in regards to just just beginning of chapter 45, he says, This is the greatest chapter in, in Genesis of the day to remember of all days. This is the greatest family reunion that could ever take place and unfold for the, for the average reader. And some of you like family reunions, don't you? This is where all your family, we're, we're planning one this summer. Um, I, can, I can go here or there with it because it's like I have met some of these people in years. And so what do you talk about? After years, I mean, the f- last time I saw my wife's side of the family was when we first got married. And so now we're all congregating in Colorado, and I'm like, okay, what are we going to talk about? But notice the condition for 22 years, he's been sold into slavery risen from a state of slavery. Now he's a prince of Egypt, ruling over the, the Egyptian people, making sure all the goods and supplies are, are being divvied out according to, to, the, to the dreams that he interpreted. And everyone's getting their food ration just at the, the right time for that week and for that month. And here he is in power, From a state of of being thrown in a pit to a state of slavery, now to prestige, now to honor and respect. And here are his brothers before him. How will he now treat them? Like any leader, hopefully, who is godly, responds in a biblical way, responds to them as brothers in the flesh. And he reminds them that God has placed them here for such a time as this. But notice that when you look at this whole storyline of Genesis and the preceding chapters that we have gone through together as, as a church, that, that during this time of isolation, he knows that God has been his protector. God has been faithful to him. God has been his, his very help in time of trouble. When he gets married, he, he is blessed with two children that come into his life. And they become a song or a poem or a, a way that he could reflect internally about what God has, has done in his life. His first son was, was named Manasseh. And in the Old Testament, names mean a lot. Pastor Travis has mentioned this. I know I have in past uh, times as I've spoken. Names mean much to the Old Testament. And for you to understand the the depth of despair that Joseph was going to, the name helps us with this chapter here. Because we come to this family reunion, and if we don't go back to the names... And the time of his suffering and time of loneliness. And now this outburst of, of crying and outburst of, of anxiety just overflows into the lap. And he begins to kiss and talk with his brother. And this is a deep, deep time of, of pain being released from his own life. But notice his first son, Manasseh. And, and he interprets it for us. He says, this is what Manasseh means. God has allowed me to forget all of my Troubles. This Christmas, you will go through some deep troubles. This year, coming year, you will go through some deep troubles. Some of those troubles will last a long time. Some of you are coming out of those troubles, and and might you sing a song like Joseph, where he says, "God has given me a son, and I shall name him Manasseh, for God has forgiven, for, has helped me forget all of my, my troubles." What troubles? The troubles that he has has gone through up to these 22 years, you're like, well, he has a place of fame in his life. He's leading the Egyptian people. Well, How how can that be a a time of suffering, a time of isolation in his life? Because he's away from who? He's away from his own kindred, his own family, and and his own father that he longed to be with. Might, Might I give you a second song that he sang when his second child was born, and the second song was Ephraim? Ephraim means God has allowed me to be fruitful in my sojourning. It's a proper way of saying that through my life, up to this point of 22 years of being away from my homeland, being away from mom and dad, being away from my brother Benjamin, God has allowed me to multiply fruit in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of being thrown in a pit and, and into slavery, sold into bondage, put in prison, God has raised me what? God has raised me up. He's caused my my sorrow to be turned into joy. Maybe that is your experience right now, that you feel lonely, you feel down, you feel discouraged. Isolation can be a dreadful experience for you and I. And when we get there, you 're at your last leg of hope it 's out of control and, and many people get there. They get to the point where where um, everything seems to be going well joy and you 're like well, how could they, how could they get to this point in their life where everything is just like it falls apart and they don 't know what to do They're like I, I was just talking to them yesterday, and seemed, seemed like the conversation was okay. I remember in literature class American literature class when I was a student at uh, Moody. I didn't really like taking some of the the, the lit classes because I didn't like the poetry and to analyze. But well, I had one phenomenal teacher that was helpful in, in the process of understanding pain and suffering and understanding Christ within novels, Christ within poetry. And I remember we were, we were assigned this homework uh, assignment or critical critique on on this one poem um, called Richard Coy. And and C- Richard Corey, maybe you're familiar with Richard Corey, this is how it goes. Whenever Richard Corey went downtown, we people on the pavement looked at him. He was a gentleman of, of soul to crown, clean favor, imperishly slim. He was qu- always quietly arraigned and he was always human when he talked. Isn't that Joseph? Human. Human right here in chapter 45. But this is how the poem goes some more. But still he fluttered pulses When he said, good morning, and he glittered as he walked. He was rich, yes, richer than a king, and admirably schooled in every grace. In fine, we thought that he was everything to make us wish that we were in his place. I hope not. I hope you don't wish to be in someone else's spot. But notice what the poem goes on to say. So on we worked and waited for the light. And went on without the meat and the curse, the bread. And Richard Corey, one calm summer night, went home and put a bullet through his head. He had it all. He had fame. He was schooled. He was educated. He had the riches. He had the the gear on, the clothes. And yet he was lonely and lonely as lonely can get. And he ended his life. But Joseph gives us some hope today because even despite the loneliness that he felt and the longing to be reconnected with his family, Joseph's trust was in the Lord. His hope had a sure foundation in the Lord. And I want to show you that in the text because the text is very clear to show us that Joseph had a resounding obedience and trust and faith in the God of Israel. And I want you to have that same trust and faith that through your loneliest times of life, which they will come, and through whatever tragedy that you may enter in today, tomorrow, this year, that you need to place your trust in the God of the ages of past ago, who've always been faithful and will always be faithful in the ages to come. That same God that same Christ who is was here will be here today will be here tomorrow and ages to come in the kingdom you can rely and trust on that that's the that's the Joseph we are encountered with in this text in chapter 45 so number 2 god has sent joseph to 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 depend on on the lord at, in in his season of of sojourning, as, as the text says, in, in his time of, of difficulty. And, and you and I are, are sent into this time period. He has sent you here, like Joseph, for that specific period, God has sent you here. And you might go through a time of loneliness, but God has sent you here right now to depend, to have all your dependence on the Lord through those difficult moments. Notice what he says. Notice his theology. It's a, it's a wonderful way as he approaches his brothers as, as their the, the dread of having to address Joseph, the prince now who's ruling over Egypt, the one they threw into the pit, the one they lied about when they went back home and told their father that he had died. Notice verse 5. And now do not be dis- distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me what? You sold me here. So he's recounting the experience. That had to be painful. And the fear of his brothers trembling right now, do not be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me here. On your God sent me here before you to preserve life. God had this all arranged. Even though you meant evil, even though you meant harm, even though you, you didn't love me and you didn't like me, you didn't want me around, and you put me in a pit, God sent me here to preserve life. He sent me here. And it doesn't keep, stop there. Notice verse 7, he keeps going. And, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. So he's thinking covenantally in regards to the nation of Israel, that God has formed a covenant that even this famine that has occurred on the land and has come swiftly through the region. God's eye is on the nation, and Joseph knows that God is a covenant-keeping God of his promises. And so God has prepared this prince to go before the nation, not only to bless an outside people called the Egyptians, but also the, to make sure that a remnant is kept here, namely the people of the covenant, the nation of Israel. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And so he has in keeping that there's an extended family of these of these brothers and Joseph's two sons are going to be included in that in, in chapters later we'll find out that Jacob blesses J- Joseph's two songs that he sang Manasseh and Ephraim and Jacob crosses his arms and blesses the two boys again as a sign of the covenant I'm going to raise up a remnant to keep a remnant here on earth. That's why God has sent me here. And God has sent me here to depend on the Lord in all situations and at all times. In all my afflictions, God has sent me here for such a time as this. But He's not done. He repeats the same phrase in, in a different way, but to, to emphasize it even more in verse 8, He says, So it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. God. He has made me the father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler of all the land of Egypt. In all your situations, in all life circumstances, in whatever God has sent you or where you occupy or where you fill up space... Know that God is the one that that is a giver of all life. He preserves your life. He rewards you. He blesses you. He he allows you to go through difficulty, allows you to, to triumph over those victories as well. And this is Joseph's theology. This is Joseph's worldview. This is Joseph's own perspective about God, and this should be our perspective when we go through some very dark days. And in this moment, he's now reunited With his brothers. You might say this is a glorious scene in the text because a family is coming back together again. A family is being reunited back together. A covenant community is being tied back again to show that God's favor is upon his people and God's favor is upon you as well. Can you see that? I mean, all the wrong, all of the wrong that has been pelted at, Joseph is now at his disposal, and yes, he can act, and he could revenge, and he could act out because he's what? He's a ruler, he's a leader, and these people are his servants, even his brothers, for they have to bow, and they have to pay homage to the, to the king. It's a beautiful story because it shows us how we should respond as well. But notice the text it keeps moving us forward, but notice what he does here because it's clear that he loves his family. He loves his family, and he wants to show that that this covenant bond that he has with his brothers, but namely even Benjamin, is very, very clear. That, that God, number three, that God has sent him to receive a reward for personal faithfulness in this life. And, and he wants to then to give this to his family as a response. Look what he does. He's very clear in what he does here because he begins to show how he rewards God's faithfulness to his brothers. So his human emotion comes out, right? This is verses 16. The report goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hears it. And he says, okay, Joseph, this is great news. Your family shows up. You're, you, you don't have to worry anymore. All of the stories that you've shared with me about your brothers, you're like, well, how much? How, did they even talk? Did Joseph and Pharaoh talk? They must have. This pleased them. And I also think that, that God is working even in Pharaoh's life as he has been working in the stories that we've already uncovered in Sundays ago. So it's very clear that God is working not only in Joseph's situation, but making Pharaoh have a tender heart toward this this great reunion that has taken place. So when the report was heard, verse 16, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat of the fat of the land. This is very covenantal language. Come, come, receive. This is the the covenant of the promise that God had ratified through Abraham. And Joseph is, is, is hearing this from who? From a Gentile. Wow. God's speaking here. And, and so, Joseph, are, and you, Joseph, are commanded and say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for the little ones and for your wives, and, and, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So God rewards, God sends them so they might receive a, a blessing, a personal reward for faithfulness. It's like, uh, the son's being faithful? No, they're being blessed through the hand of who? Through, namely through God's hand, but through the hand of Joseph because Joseph has been faithful to endure all and to realize that God had placed him here. God had placed him in this story. God is the one moving all the scenes together for his glory, for his honor. So this is what He does. He said, verse 21, the sons of Israel did so and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of all he gave a change of clothes. But, very important here, but, you should underline that. That's a very important word to make you pause and see how God fulfills his covenant promises here in the text. But, to who? To Benjamin, he what? He gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. You're like, whoa. You mean the other brothers get less? Yes. To show God's covenant-keeping promises are, are to the bloodline of Joseph because Christ is coming as we're going to celebrate this month of Advent. Christ is coming. And it's through Joseph that the double blessing comes, and, and he wants to show that it's Benjamin who is of, his, of 100% of Rachel, his mom. Remember, the other brothers are half-brothers in many ways because they come through another line, another mother. I mean, talk about having four moms in the house. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You have step-son, step-brother, step-sister. This was Joseph's experience, step-mom, 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 Right? Stepbrother, stepbrother, stepbrother. While they had shared the same father, they did not share the same what? Mother. So you can see that there was already family strife right there. Namely, Jacob caused that. And Jacob had to deal with that. So God has sent Joseph into this situation so that he might reap and he might experience a blessing multiplied by blessing upon his life to be double blessed. In many ways, Joseph receives a double blessing, doesn't he? He gets to sing two songs, the song of Manasseh, the song of Ephraim. And he begins to display this and voice this out in a day. Might that be our song, might that be our way that we experience God's blessing and personal blessing in our life of His faithfulness and His promises, and and might we extend it. And I think this gives us another look at example how we might respond in very difficult situations such as this this, um, you know, family problem of not talking maybe with a brother or sister for years. Maybe this might help you as you enter into the Christmas season and you're forced to have to celebrate with with, with extended family that, that's just not going well right now. Might, might you come into those conversations and places and times and bring about a double blessing upon your family? And this is what Joseph, he gives to his family. He gives and they go out with rewards and blessing. And I mean, just think about the wagons going along the, the horses and, and the food in the wagons and and, and they are happen to, to head home toward their village and, and, and maybe Jace, Jacob in his old age is, is, is moved by the presence of God and the reports begin to come because he's, he's growing older in age and he's, his ill health is coming quickly. Is not able to sustain life and, and, and maybe the reports report comes to his tent and the brothers have returned. The sons have returned with goods and provision so that we may sustain life. And the brothers report on the way. i just kind of rehearsing how they're going to tell dad. Joseph is still alive. The Joseph we we hid from you. The Joseph we threw in the pit. The Joseph we, we ripped his coat of many colors and, and killed a, a, an animal and put blood on it. The, the Joseph we told you had died is still alive and has brought, brought produce to us and, and brought life and sustained life and a, and a remnant here on earth. Joseph is here. And God has sent Joseph and God has sent you here to experience his blessing and to give it to others. And to see this manifold grace and promises always show up to be true in our lives. Let me give you a fourth thing that we can see in the text in verses 25 through 28. God has sent me, namely you and I, namely Joseph, to establish peace in his very relationship. This is the moment of peacemaking for Joseph. This is the moment where he can resolve the wrong that was, was due to him and, and, and the, the conflicts of, of the past twenty two years that have gone days and months of unresolved and, and listen, friends, we, we you and I have those relationships. We we have people we no longer talk to because they did something to us, they wronged us, and we, we don't man, if we saw them today we walk the other way. We just naturally that's what happens when, when hurt goes unresolved. But now they're faced with, with a, a peacemaking effort. They're in the same room. Deep emotion comes over Joseph. He has to deal with it. It is now here they embrace. And in verse 15, we see this peacemaking effort take place. I love it because it makes Joseph very real. In verse 15, chapter 45, and he kissed all his brothers. Can you just see this? You know, We're Americans. We don't do that. The Middle Easterns do. We love kissing each other. Matter of fact, kiss on both sides. But my my grandma, um, she kissed you all the time. I mean, just you know, she kissed you on your neck. I mean, it just, it just she was just that was a very affectionate woman. And if she didn't kiss you. I mean, she just kissed you. Kept on kissing you. Like, wow, I, I'm not that. But but this just see the emotion here, the physical touch. They loved each other despite the what? The pain. The pain. And he kissed. And notice what else he does here. Not only he just kissed, ceremonially kissed and physically kissed, but after his brothers talked with, after that all that lovey-dovey stuff, right? Underline this. What did they do? What did he do? He, he, he talked with them. A long time has passed, right? 22 years has gone by. Some stories have to be, sh- to be shared. I don't know how long that talking went, but, but this shows me that, that Joseph wants to establish this peacemaking relationship with his brothers and show that the God who has sent me here to preserve life, to preserve a remnant, it's the same covenant-keeping God that he made with what? We made with Abraham and the, the patriarchs of El and brings us all the way up to here now to Jacob. And, 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 and there's, there's hatred in this family. And for this covenant to be preserved, there has to be peace in the home. There has to be peace in our relationships. What about you? Christmas is here. Thanksgiving has gone by. You had supper on Thursday, possibly. You possibly had some difficult conversations with a brother or sister, with a mom, a father, uncle, aunt. Can you be like a Joseph who lovingly, affectionately embraces brother or sister, and they weep, and they cry, and they embrace, and they kiss, and they talk. They talk far as it depends on you, you what? You live at peace with all men. If it depends on you, you, you strive for peace in your relationships. That's what Joseph teaches us. But Joseph teaches us one more thing, and I hope you can find its connection because of the season that we're in. And Joseph ties us to Christ. Ties us to Christmas. And so number five, God has sent me to see that my life My life is in Christ by His grace. And I hope you can see in this chapter that grace permeates, and and I hope you can see it throughout all of Scripture, that that grace permeates all of of Scripture, and Christ seems to be present in all the pages of Scripture because it's a wonderful season that we're in that sees us and focuses that point to, to help us in our walk with the Lord. But to see as you move from Christmas... That all of Scripture is communicating this person of Jesus as you walk. So let me give you some helpful thoughts and maybe Joseph is connected to Christ and so are we. How so? Joseph was thrown in a pit. So Christ was thrown in a pit. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver and it seems to parallel Joseph was what? sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was mistreated by his own brothers. Jesus was mistreated by his own brothers. Joseph was a mere slave, a servant, who rises up to be a king of a Gentile people. And Jesus is a lonely servant who was put to death and one day will come and be the conquering king and will reign throughout eternity and we will pay homage to him. But let me give you some more here. How Christmas is connected to the life of Joseph and how we're connected to Joseph and connected to Christ. Christmas connects us to Christ because of his electing grace in that Christ knew us through the gospel. And Joseph knew his brothers before they knew him. You see that, don't you? That he was fully aware of who they were. 22 years have gone by. Their brothers show up fully aware. Another thing that we see in the text is that Joseph loves his brothers and he affectionately loves them just like Christ loves us and shows us through the gospel, through his death and provision on the cross. That same salvation can be given to you right now. You can embrace it. It's the love of Christ that occupies and fills Christmas and moves us forward into the calendar years toward Easter. Joseph loved his brothers. And let me give you one more. The the story becomes unfolding for us in this way, that God blesses us, Christ blesses us with His rewards. And so Joseph blesses who? blesses his brothers despite their failure, despite the wrong, despite the sin that they, they rallied against him, thrown him into a pit, sold him, sent him on his way, lied to their dad. Despite their sin, God blesses you and rewards you and offers you an invitation to come to the gospel. And when you come to the gospel, you're rewarded. You get to share in the inheritance. You get to share in the promises, and you get to reign with Christ. You know what? That's a better place to be, isn't it, than a lonely state that many of us might feel right now. Many of us might feel that lonely estate state in which we need Christ to help us and to encourage us. So let me close then with Jesus, the storybook Bible by um, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Are you familiar with Sally Lloyd-Jones? Uh, we have a little storybook at, at home on our shelf. Um, Lisa bought the, the kids um, a couple years ago. And this is how she records and paraphrases the close of this story for us. And Jesus' storybook Bible, it writes this way, The one day God was sent another prince, a young prince whose heart would break, like Joseph. He would leave his home and his father, his brothers would hate him, and want him dead, he would be sold for pieces of silver, and he would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God, but God, will use everything that happened in this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good, namely, to forgive the sins of the whole world. That's how Joseph connects us to the Christmas story. That's how we're connected to Joseph and we're ultimately connected to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. We need your help because we're sinners and in need of grace. And we thank you for grace that is given to us in manifold ways. We Thank you that is given in Christ for our salvation. And we can see wonderful little evidence of truth here that your grace is overwhelmingly given through the hand of your servant Joseph and extended to his brothers and extended to the whole world. Might you use that in our life as well to extend that manifold grace. Lord, in a season where we join with friends and family and brother, sister, mother, father, extended family, where hurts have gone deep and wrongs have not been made right and each one of us holds something close to our heart that is dark, that needs your peacemaking effort, that we might extend love and forgiveness like Joseph did and that we will continue to do through the remainder of our lives. Lord, uh, pray that um, as we leave today, whatever loneliness we might experience right now might be preserved and covered through the gospel and peace may come to our torment soul. I pray these things, Father, by your glorious and mighty name that is above every name and at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Christ, the Lord. May you, Instruct us in these things, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.